Well, our theme for this year is Hope Starts Here. So we've been doing it at the beginning of every month, but I am going to do something a little bit different in that, yes, we're going to do Hope Starts Here, and I'm just going to keep doing that for about the next six weeks. So you know, I want to be in this section in Ephesians because uh, if we are going to have hope in going forward, it's about being able to get past our past and not living in the past. And it is easy to be stuck in our past, not see the open doors that God often is putting right in front of us so that we could be servants of his. And, and so the series is ultimately then over these next few weeks going to be called uh, The Old You Leaving the Past Behind. Now, that may not sound very hopeful. The title of this lesson will sound even less hopeful. The title of the lesson is You Have Problems. Uh, and that's ultimately something that God has to show us is that while the idea of saying, oh, you have problems does not sound very hopeful. It is an important common starting point that we need to have if we are going to go forward with God. Now, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter four, as was just read for us. You have your Bibles, Ephesians four seventeen through 21 is what we are looking at. And you'll notice that as we're in this section, the context is important because the first three verses of Ephesians four tell us that we are to live a life worthy of the calling that God has brought us to you. You are put in a special place and to walk in a way that represents the calling that you have been given. And the beginning point then in verse 17 is a a critical one that Paul says, I'm telling you this. I am testifying to this. I am insisting on this, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. I want you to no longer live as the Gentiles do. I'm insisting on that. And when you read living like the Gentiles, just think of don't live like the world. Those outside of Christ, those whose hearts have not been circumcised such that they are following him. Don't live like that. And in short, the idea is very simple that you cannot come to God through Christ in the way that you used to. You can't approach life the way that the world does. And what's hard as we walk through these sentences is what Paul is going to do is really challenge this idea of the way that we think. And he's starting here by telling us that the way that we look at life, the way that we live our life, and the way that we look at other people, it has to be different. It can't be like everybody else. That the way you look at life, the way you look at others, the way you live your life, can't be like everybody else. This is what he's insisting on and he's going to explain why this is true that's why we're going to spend a few weeks moving through this paragraph because he's going to explain why all these things are the case and ultimately what does it look like 
to live not like the world. But before he can get to that, he has to explain, here's the problem with thinking like the world. Here's the problem that you and I have. Especially, please consider that the Apostle Paul is not writing this to the world and saying, oh, you people out there, you have problems. He's writing to Christians and saying, you have problems when you're thinking like the world thinks. The point of the section is not to blast the outsider. It's easy to come across passages like this and read it and go, oh yeah, look at how they are. Aren't they terrible? Isn't this awful? It's not what he's writing about. He's writing to Christians and saying, I want you to see a problem. You think like them. And that is a very, very big problem. So as I think it's important as we begin this to say, you have problems. And immediately when we talk like that, I think it's easy for us to bristle at this. In fact, I believe every sentence we read in these four verses are things that cause us to put up our defenses and go, well, that can't be true of me. And I hope as we go through it, you'll let down those defenses a little bit. Listen to what the Apostle Paul is saying about our condition, about who we are, because only if we accept this condition will we be able to move forward in hope. We have a saying, you are what you eat. Paul somewhat modifies that, and what he is going to say to us is, you are what you think. Notice what he says in verse 17, he says, I'm insisting that you do not uh, live as the Gentiles do any longer in the futility of their thinking. Essentially, our problems come from our thinking. It all starts in the mind. And I want you to notice that he doesn't say, your thinking is amazing. You've got it right on the nose. Your thought process is right on the mark. Instead, he tells us, your thinking is futile. Why don't you kind of think about that for a minute? Your thinking is futile. Or if I say it this way, our thinking is wrong, it's empty, it's useless, it's pointless. The way that we have always thought about life, the way that we have thought about other people, and the way that we think about ourselves is wrong. It's futile. It's messed up. It's not what God wants us to be thinking. And I'm sure if you were to say this, you go, yeah, you're right. Everybody else out there, their thinking is all messed up. I mean, that's the essence of social media today, right? My thinking is completely correct and you're bonkers. (laughs) That's, That's where we're at. Your thinking's all wrong. Your thinking's futile. And I want you to listen to Paul. He's telling us that our thinking's wrong. Ours is futile. Ours is messed up. Ours is pointless. It's not what it's supposed to be. Let me prove it in a couple of ways that God proves it. Let me give you proof number one. Why do you sin? Or maybe I can say that another way. Why Why haven't you stopped sinning yet? What's the matter? It's 
about the way we think about life. The reason that we struggle with sin, the reason why we're not moving forward, the reason why that's always a problem is it's a problem of the mind. That our thinking about life, about ourselves, about things, about our desires, about other people, it's broken. It's futile. It's messed up. That's the whole point of what God's trying to communicate to us is to get us to understand where does sin even begin, but within the desires of the heart, within the mind, the mind is the problem. Or let me prove it another way. What do you have always the teachers of Scripture, Old and New Testament, telling everybody they need to do? Repent. What does that mean? If you grew up in the pews, you would probably immediately come up with You do a 180 in the way that you think so that it changes how you act. Why is it always talking about repentance? Because the mind, the way that we think, the way that we look at life, the way that we look at ourselves, the way that we look at others is wrong. Repentance is admitting that. The way that I think about life and the way that I think about doing things and the way that I think about other people and my whole world perspective is wrong and I need to do a 180 in the way that I think. This is what Paul is beginning with. Is he starting off by just simply telling us the mind is messed up. Our way of thinking is empty and it does not get us to the goals that we think it's going to cause us to achieve. The way that we think about the world and to think about ourselves is not going to reach the goal. That's the idea of futility. You know, futility is like running on a treadmill. You're not getting anywhere. Futility. It's the idea. It's not accomplishing the goal. It's not getting you there. Notice that's Paul's starting point. The way that you think about self, life, others, it's not working. It's the first point he wants us to get at with this. And I want us to notice he continues with that. And I love how he layers this. Notice he doesn't just start and just say, you know, you've got problems. I want you to listen to how he just keeps building upon this. Because the next line is, they are darkened in their understanding. All right, your thinking is messed up. And now you are darkened in your understanding. It speaks to a a blindness in our reasoning. A blindness in the way that we are operating and understanding others and understanding, understanding life in general. That sin has darkened our thinking. It's like putting us into the dark. Here we are in this dark room. And he says, your understanding is darkened. You can't navigate it. That our capacities to make moral judgment, life choices, proper determinations about life are all completely broken. You're darkened in your understanding. Now, this isn't the only time Paul says stuff like this. How about over in Romans? He says, instead, their thinking became worthless. And their senseless hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Why is Paul always having to run around telling people this stuff? (laughs) He's trying to get across something to us. Is that without God, without having a transformed mind, 
which that's where he's getting him quite a few sentences. Not today. We won't get there. Without that transformed mind, your thinking is futile, it's broken, it's worthless, it's darkened. Now here's something that's really interesting about that. Think about what the world tells us. The world says it's enlightened. It sees clearly, it thinks clearly, and who are the people who have the darkened understanding and don't understand? People of God. Interesting that when the Apostle Paul comes along and says, you know what, actually, it's only by knowing God that your mind is opened. It's the only way to have the light turned on. The only way to see clearly is not by avoiding God, closing God off, or listening to the world, but by embracing God. That's the only way to clear the mind so that it will truly understand, truly comprehend the things of God, to truly not have worthless thinking. I want you to see, you see, our world vibes directly against that and says, no, you're closed-minded if you think in godly ways. You're open-minded with worldly thinking. God says, no. Actually, that kind of worldly thinking is closed-minded. It's darkened. It doesn't understand. It's worthless. And notice that's what you see him do in verse 18, plunging it further. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of Of their hearts. Notice he says, we are separated from true life, life in God, because we don't know. Now, if somebody came up to us and said, I think you're ignorant, we would really not be happy about that. (laughs) Paul just said, because of the ignorance that is in them. And that's not intended to be a slanderous term like we often use. You say somebody's ignorant, I'm going to take offense at that. I'm not ignorant. But the idea of what he's getting at here is you just don't know. And that's what he's saying is you can't know life. You can't know what this world and this life and how to look at God and how to look at yourself And how to look at other people when you're in the dark. You can't do it. You can't see clearly. You think you know, but you don't know. That's what that sentence is all about. They're separated from the life that is found in God because of the ignorance that is in them. And therefore, it's because of their hardness of heart. In short, you think you know... But you actually don't know. In fact, when you think about hardness of heart, think about how the scriptures use that. Probably one of the most notable people you might think of when you start talking about a hardened heart is Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh is one of the people you go, man, hardness of heart. Think about what's the characteristic about Pharaoh that is intended when you say Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He was stubborn. Moses kept saying, here's what God says to do. 
And Pharaoh said, no. <laughs> Moses said again, Pharaoh go, no. Or how about when the prophets come to Israel and say, you all have hard hearts. What's he driving at? This idea right here. You're darkened under, in your understanding so that you think you know, but you don't know. You're stubborn. You think you have it figured out, but you don't have it figured out. And I want us to get a sense of what ultimately God is trying to tell us. Because we don't like to be called stubborn either. But that's ultimately what He's trying to tell us. Is you think you know, but you ultimately don't know. Your thinking is broken. Your thinking is messed up. Here's God. I want you to know this. Your think, here's why you have problems. Here's why you have issues. Your thinking is broken, your understanding is darkened, and we don't know because our hearts are hardened to what God is trying to say. And you want to know what our usual response to God trying to tell us that our thinking is messed up and our hearts are darkened and we don't understand and you think you know, but you don't know. Here, what's our response? No, it's not. No, it's not. Everybody else can't think straight. I can. There's a lot of irony in the fact that when God says, here's your problem, you think you know, but you don't know. And we say, yes, we do know. (laughs) You say, no, that's the problem. You think you know, but you don't know. You think your thinking's right, but it's not right. You think you see, but you can't see. You think you understand, but you can't understand. You think you're close to God, you're not close to God. You're broken, you're alienated, you're separated. You don't have the life that God wants you to have because your heart is hardened, because you're being stubborn and saying you think you know when you really don't know. That's what those first two lines were ultimately doing. And ultimately, that's where he's going with all of this is trying to give us the sense of here's the reality, here's the picture of what it is all about. The reason we have problems is because we think we know and we think we see and we think we understand. We think we have the right lens. And God is always trying to tell us you don't have the right lens. You're not looking at life right. That's why sin is a problem. That's why repentance is necessary. The thinking is broken. As much as we'd like to think it's not. And I hope that helps us kind of put us ourselves in the boat with really the whole world. Because in one sense, it's not our fault. And what I mean by that is this. Until you know God, you can't help but have futile thinking and be darkened in your understanding and be separated from the life that is in God and have a hard heart and be stubborn. That's just the, that's what's going to happen. That's that's it. You wonder why everybody is doing what they're doing? You just gave it right here. Until God hits the heart and changes it dramatically, everybody's thinking is futile. Their understanding is darkened. They don't have life. They're separated from God. They don't see clearly, but they think they do. That's the problem. That's the human condition. That's the essence of the problem. And notice this is what leads to the rest of where everything gets messed up. Because the thinking is broken, verse 19, 
having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, greedy for more and more. You see the picture? We lose all sensitivity. That makes sense. Think about how the Apostle Paul is working in this. This leads ultimately to our next problem. We become callous. Our sense of right and wrong becomes warped. We think that we are right in our own way of thinking. We think we are right in our perspective of life and how we are doing life. And so we just become callous. You notice that in our culture? We are right in our own way of thinking so that we have no shame. That's what he just said right here. No sensitivity. Callous. Don't care. No shame. That's the essence of it all. As our thinking becomes so warped, we think it's right. And the things that should be shameful are not shameful. Rather than being shameful, we proclaim it. We advertise it. We applaud it. And that's where Romans 1 ends. We approve it. This is good and right. How do we get there? We got there because our darkened thinking caused us to think that we are right. So we sit here stubbornly saying we are right doing what we want to do and we have no shame. We're no longer sensitive to the things of God. We're no longer willing to listen to what God is ultimately saying. And notice the outcome in verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to all kinds of impurity, all kinds of sensuality. You just give yourself over to it more and more and more and more. Ultimately, what happens is you become captive to your sins. This is the the result. You get to the point where it's just more and more and more. Have you ever noticed that about sin? Sin never ultimately satisfies. It always ramps up for more and more and more. It needs more and it needs more. And then what you were doing was not enough. So it's got to be bigger. It's got to be more. Higher in quality and quantity. Never satisfies. And that's the picture he's giving here in verse 19. Is he just saying you you lose all sense of shame. You become completely callous. You lose all sensitivity. You get to the point where you're just captive to it. It's just more and more and more. All of these impurities, more and more and more. How do we get here? I always think this is an interesting thing. People will come to me and be like, you know, I'm steeped in these sins and I can't get out of them and I'm completely addicted. I've got all of these issues. How am I going to work through this and how do I break out of it? And I want you to listen. If we took this sentence backwards of what Paul just said here, you will see the explanation. You'll see the progression because what the Apostle Paul is simply saying Here's the issue. You're stuck because you've lost all sensitivity to these sins. You're callous to it. You have no shame in what you are doing. And the reason why is because your heart has become hard. It's become stubborn because your thinking is broken. Because your understanding is darkened. Because the way you look at life and the way you look at yourself is so messed up that you think you're right and no one else can tell you otherwise. 
Sound like our culture? That's what you just described. That's how you get there. You get to this point where you're not breaking free because you become so callous you lose all sense of shame and sensitivity to these sins. Because you're stubborn in your point of view about life. Because you think you know and nobody else does. You think you're right. And no one can tell you otherwise. And I hope you will notice how, at least for this part of the paragraph, Paul wraps that up. And he just says, it's not what you learned in Christ. And I hope that's true. I hope that you did not come to Christ believing that the way you thought about life and the way you thought about yourself and the way you thought about others and the way that you thought about the world was correct. I think there's been probably a great disservice that so often the message is to come to God. Here's what you need to do to be a Christian. You just need to be nicer to people, do good things and go to church. It's like the sum total. And we'll like imply that, oh, that person's a really good person. They just need to like, you know, accept Christ and go to church. God is always trying to tell us. When you're coming to him, your thinking is messed up. It's futile. It's darkened. It's stubborn. It thinks it knows when it really doesn't know. And this is why we get ourselves into trouble. And this is how we become captured by sin. And this is how we are defeated by Satan. Is because we are unwilling to take it back to the start point and to accept we are broken. And we need to stop looking at everyone else as their problems and look at how they're messed up. And realize we're messed up. Our thinking is broken. If we have our thinking aligned to the world, it is darkened, it is futile, and it is wrong. And we cannot move and leave the past behind. Go forward in hope until we are willing to admit that our natural thinking, the way that we just naturally look at life, is broken, darkened, and flawed. The Old Testament said this a long time ago. You didn't need the New Testament to come along and explain it like this. One of my favorite Old Testament prophecies is God in trying to explain this to us. It is in Isaiah. He's going to use Isaiah. He uses a lot of prophets to say these kinds of things. He's always trying to tell us, I'm going to try to bring you in. I want you to enjoy life. I want you to have hope. I want you to have rest. I want you to have peace. But you can't get there until you start realizing that everything you have is broken. The way you're looking at life is broken. God was doing that with Israel. The way you're looking at things is broken. Do we not read the history of Israel and see that? When you read Israel and here they are in the wilderness and they look back at Egypt and they go, man, life was better back there we read that and go they are broken in their thinking 
That's some messed up thinking right there. You're, you were slaves. Life was terrible. They're throwing your baby boys in the Nile. And you're looking at that and going, that was okay, let's go back to that. We do that. We don't see how much our thinking is broken. But as long as we keep thinking that everybody else is messed up, we'll never change. It's just so easy to sit here and just go, well, everybody else is wrong. Everybody else has the problem. And as long as everybody else has the problem, here's what we do. We surround ourselves with people who validate our decisions, validate our lifestyle, validate our way of thinking. We cut off everybody else who doesn't agree with us. You don't rubber stamp my life, off you go. Unwilling to accept maybe our thinking's wrong. And somebody's trying to walk into that space and say your thinking's wrong. You're darkened in your understanding. You don't have it right. So let's think about what's going to take to do that. Isaiah 55. (laughs) Isaiah 55 and talking about this idea. Listen to what Isaiah offers here. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let me stop there a second. Everybody starts off in that condition, right? There's none righteous, no, not one. We all agree with Romans 3. Nobody's righteous. Okay, so that means we're unrighteous. Let the unrighteous and wicked people forsake their ways and thoughts. If we're going to be able to come to Him, be transformed and have this hope and have this life that God wants us to have, it begins by realizing that our problems are beginning with our way of thinking. This is why the invitation to come to God is very simple. Let the wicked forsake his ways. Let the unrighteous forsake their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord. You see what he's calling for them to do? I want you to take your life perspective, the way you look at yourself, the way you look at the world, the way you think about things, the way you think about other people, and I want you to throw them away. Forsake them. Cast them off. Let them turn to the Lord and He will have mercy to our God for He will freely pardon. But but God, why, why do I have to get rid of my way of thinking? I like my way of thinking. I like my thoughts. I like the way that I look at the world. I like the way I look at people. I like the way I look at myself. Notice the rest of what He says. Because God's thoughts are not your thoughts. In short... Your thinking's messed up, and God's thinking's the only one that's right. Your ways are messed up, and God's ways are the only ways that are right. This text has been horribly abused 
If we just don't know God's ways, you know, his thoughts are so hot. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, give up your ways and give up your thoughts because yours are wrong. We're the unrighteous. God is saying, come to my thoughts and come to my ways. And notice he is saying, because my ways are better, they're higher than yours. They're better than yours. But you have to start there. You have to start with realizing the way that we are looking at life and think about life is broken. It's darkened. It's messed up. It's not correct. And the more the world agrees with our kind of thinking, then we need to be frightened. Our thinking is supposed to be the opposite of the world. That's where he starts. Paul says, here's something I insist and give my testimony. Don't Think like the world. Don't think like them. Why? Because that thinking's messed up. That thinking's darkened. That thinking leads you to be captive to sin. That is a hopeless direction. It won't give you what you're looking for. That's why that word futile is really good. If you think like the world thinks, you are like that hamster or gerbil in the little plastic wheel. You think you're getting somewhere, but you're not. You're going nowhere. It's empty. So you have a choice. You can either sit back and say, oh, no, no, I've got it all figured out. The way I look at people is right. The way I look at myself is right. The way I look at the world is right. The way I look at life is right. I've got it all worked out. And if you do that, you stay in the darkness. You're just like what Paul's talking about. You think you see, but you can't see. You think you know, but you don't know. And Paul's start point to where he's going to finally get to, where he's going to talk about what it means to be in Christ, only begins by walking into this important space and saying, admitting, confessing, the way that I look at life is not righteous. The way that I look at other people, it's not right. The way that I look at myself, it's darkened. It's been colored and tainted by culture in the world. And only God can change that. Let the unrighteous forsake their ways. The wicked forsake their thoughts. And turn to the Lord and accept His ways and accept His thoughts. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Father, there is something so hard. Something so hard from from hearing your word tell us that the way that we've always looked at life and the way that we've always proceeded forward, the way that we've always looked at other people and looked at ourselves is not the way you want us to think. And Lord, I pray that you would shine a light into our hearts to see those areas that have not been changed and transformed into your ways and your thoughts. And Lord, I pray that you would truly break into the stubbornness of our hearts to see that. Lord, it's easy for us to think that we are 
always thinking righteously, always thinking clearly, always seeing life in the right way. Show us where that's not true. Show us where our thinking is deficient. Show us, Lord, when our hearts are darkened. Show us when our understanding is futile. Show us when we are having stubborn hearts towards you and towards your ways. God, forgive us for thinking we know when we don't know. Forgive us for standing upon our own think-sos and not standing on your word. Forgive us for not opening our hearts and allowing your word to transform us into the kinds of people you want us to be. And Lord, we thank you that you shine a light into our dark hearts, that you are attempting to open our minds and to help us see. Thank you for your patience with us. So often we become closed off to your ways. We so easily accept the world's standards. We so easily accept the the world's way of thinking. Forgive us for it. Help us to succeed in transformation of our hearts and transformation of our minds. Lord, especially help us to see you clearly. To see our need for you. To see how woefully deficient we are in thinking the way you want us to think and living how you want us to live. Lord, we do repent of our sins. We repent of our way of thinking. We repent of how we've foolishly gone the wrong way. We pray for your forgiveness. We pray for the courage to knock down any obstacle that stands in our way of becoming more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.